This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And this week, or this month, I should say, we are joined by a revisiting guest, somebody who's been on the podcast, which feels like freaking ages ago, because it was, it was during lockdown, (laughs) almost like years, months, however long it's been ago. Um, And yeah, it's a bit of a podcast favorite. So I'm going to say no more. I'm going to hand over to the man himself. Please welcome Jack Wicks to the show. Hello, guys. Hello. Yeah, it certainly was a long time ago, wasn't it? It's, um, I, I literally remember where I was sat in the old house, which is now two houses ago. No. Oh, wow. Um, and I believe we had a one-year-old, and we now have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, that's a um, lot. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a long time ago. And, um, yeah, life business everything is is very different but um yeah we now have a huge goal as a business to house a million vulnerable people in the uk so very different to where we were before using kind of similar stuff we're still doing rent to rent and bits and bobs anything ultimately that leads to housing vulnerable people in in whichever format that may be so it could be rent to rent it could be blocks of flats it could be whatever in any strategy that will lead to that goal which has helped me and my hyperactivity actually focus on something i'm able (laughs) to say no to stuff now which is awesome to to, anything that doesn't go there it's an easy no if there's a potential, then we'll stick it in the maybes. If it's a yes, we go straight for it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we do now. Nice. And it's probably an obvious answer, but why Why the shift from what you were doing to this new goal, this new target? Tenants. No, ten- no tenants anymore. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it, it was kind of like um, a bit of a process, really. So initially, we got into social housing with the idea well not the idea but the the reason we wanted to do it was because it removed all of the stuff we hated about property tenants um and (laughs) and it was like hmo rooms so we had a a while back we had 18 six bed hmos in surrey uh under rent to rent and it was like babysitting it was you know the you're going there dealing with arguments about who should take the bins out and you go there and it's piled up waiting for the last like peanut to be added to the bin before it toppled over. It was people nicking stuff out of fridges and it's like, just like dealing with children and it it really becomes boring and you learn to hate it. And then we found out that there was this alternative where you could still have these properties but you put in a social housing lease and they're managed, they're maintained. There's no void periods. There's, you know, a predictable profit that you can lock in from day one. And that was it for us. We started started on that journey where we were converting and taking on new rent to rent deals to social housing. And then we were also doing like a full sourcing service for clients where we'd find them the property, they'd buy it. We'd get the property done and project manage that. And then we leased it out to a provider. And it wasn't until I started getting bored of all that, that I sort of looked at what we were doing. And it's perfect for for the name of this podcast, actually. But it was rather than money and all the usual stuff, the spreadsheets and all that crap that we all obsess over, it dawned on me that we'd housed at the time, it was like, I don't know, 200, 250 vulnerable people, people in which were fleeing whatever they were fleeing and they were currently being housed in hotels and we managed to put them into a property in which they could call their own whether that be a room or a family home or whatever it was they had a space a space in which was safe and was theirs and the minute that kind of clocked to me was the minute our business quite literally changed because again I don't know why these it's almost like flashbacks to like a film or something I, I remember these things and I was in a coffee shop in Covent Garden about to go into a meeting in Blacklock. 
unbelievable restaurant by the way if you haven't been um and i was just typing away like a madman on asana just being like the name of the business has got to change it's now going to be social housing group i looked online to see if it was available and then i was writing down right how many people we're going to house a million let's do that and then all of a sudden it was like how are we going to do it we're going to collaborate with people we're going to do rent to rent we're going to and all of a sudden this list was just streaming off um and i kind of got that passion and buzz for it all over again Mm. and two years later it hasn't in any way shape or form slowed down um and and if anything the momentum has just carried on and there's more and more opportunities and everything's just coming our way because we've just got that focus we've got a goal that isn't monetary because no one gives a shit if you want to be i want to build a portfolio worth 10 million no one's going to like give you a ring and go, I'd love to help you do that. Yeah. Not going to happen. Whereas it, when you want to help people and other people feel like they can help you on that mission, people were coming out of nowhere being like, Jack, I love what you're doing. Can you, can I help you with anything? I've got friends that can do this, that, and the other. And it was that feeling of like support and help from everybody because they all kind of believe in the same thing, really. Mm. Nice. I mean, yeah. it, it's pretty awesome to be honest. And I, I think the fact that two years down the line, you're still as passionate about it as you were when the idea came to your head initially says a lot about the about the the goal itself, but about you and your personality and like the fact that you are wanting to help people. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the weird things I, again, I always say to people, it's not like I've, I'm an asylum seeker myself and I know what it's like, or like I'm homeless, I've ever been homeless or, you know, I'm not, I'm not passionate about it because i've been through it and i want to fix it but but the more you look into this social housing and the supported living as well um so we've actually just partnered with supported living gateway um very recently and they're way more on the supported side and we're coming in with the social housing contract so understanding more about that industry is like it is a different thing entirely everyone lumps those two together but they are so so different in terms of the contracts the processes the people and that's really exciting to me like I love learning new stuff and it felt like at at one point that there was nothing new to learn in property really and and everything was just very boring and everyone just regurgitating the same old shit online as they still do Mm -hmm. um boring everyone to death and yeah it's exciting having new stuff to learn about things that are actually important as well in in life rather than just like here's a new way of earning more money than you already earn this is great it's and I'm not adverse to making money obviously it's the whole reason we're here but yeah the, the ability that we can do that alongside helping people is is like just perfect for, well, for me because it allows whole, us to be it's, it's the whole premise of um entrepreneurship isn't it it's like there's a huge problem out there of which god the one you're describing is massive I mean I know for a fact when you know you're trying to book events, particularly in the Heathrow area, half the hotels now are completely booked out with asylum seekers because there is literally nowhere else for them to go. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, you're solving a problem. Your the whole social contribution thing is happening. As a business model, it stacks, which you know, plays into the whole entrepreneurship thing. Your boat has to go faster, but you're right. No one wants to help your boat go faster if it's just to make you money, right? Mm. So when there's a social cause behind it, people rally. They rally to that. Always reminds me. I always I come. I must have said this a hundred times on the podcast, but I'll never forget when Max Rayner and Alex Baker went through this at Stuart Clinton, and I remember. Do you remember this now? It was lockdown, and so it was 2020, early doors. Max and I used to speak most days, and yeah, it was dicking about drinking, doing whatever, and then he suddenly had this epiphany, and he was just like, "Holy fuck." I need to raise angel finance. I'm struggling. No one wants to invest in me. And then as soon as he stopped making it about the money and he turned it to a mission to house, I think at the time it was 200 units for young guys suffering with mental health issues by 2026. He did exactly the same thing as you. It was like he was straight on the laptop. Instead of going, he cancelled a date. He had a Tinder date that night. Yeah, I think it was online. Probably wasn't though, Max. But anyway, right. (laughs) And he was just literally like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And the mission came out of it. And since then, again, they've attracted high net worth individuals. They've attracted people into their business because they had the mission. Mm. So it was just, and it's, that's when it shifts, right? When you ha- you're so on purpose, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Max and I have played golf together and talked about exactly this. And that was the reason yeah. we sort of, we, we met at the HMO Awards and we both, whilst trying to speak over the really over loud music, sound really old. Um, <laughs> what did we, you uh, say? What did you yeah. say? <laughs> Just noise. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, we were like, we said the same thing. It was, it was the minute that there was a purpose behind it and it meant something and you realized that they're like, it's so easy with laptop lifestyle to bang a few numbers into a spreadsheet and make them make sense in terms of monetary. But like, we're a, I think we're at 800 plus people housed now. And I always think like, I couldn't get them in my garden. Do you know what I mean? If I invited them all over, it's a fucking lot of people. And I think if you saw that many people and realized quite the impact that you'd had on every single individual, it would change the way you did things. And I think a lot of landlords could do with meeting their tenants a lot of the time because I hate it when you hear them go, oh yeah, well, what I'll do is I'll just boot them out and then I'll do it. And it's like this thing. And it's like, if you've ever been in tenancies, I mean, we, we've sold our house, um, our family home to put all of our money into social housing. So we've, we've been on the other side of it, um, as well. And, and we got served notice in our last house when my wife was six months pregnant, we got served two months notice to move out of a five bedroom house, find a new one and get all your shit out of there. It was so stressful. And you kind of realize that like, you can't, you need to appreciate that there are humans with lives and stuff outside of just you and your property that you own and treat as if it's not other people's homes. And I think, especially in the UK, we're so on the side of you need to own your, your own house. And we're kind of like property is such a business decision, really, on a buy to let scale. And I think people are moaning about all the new tenancies and stuff like that. And of course, you get people taking the piss. But in general, I think it's there to try and protect tenants and allow them to have the house as their home and not have to worry about every six months whether they're going to get kicked out or their prices go up by God knows how much. And I think that there's something there to to be changed. But um it won't be my job. I'm busy enough with this stuff. But um, yeah, I I, th- I do think it needs a bit of a reform in terms of people just feel like they have to buy a property. And I'm so glad and smug that I sold my house two years ago um, because our, our mortgage would have been horrific and our oh. rent went up by the contracted 3% and we were still pissed off. It was only 100 quid. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. I totally hear you. I can totally relate to that. Um similar timeline jack to be honest i went through a divorce and sold you know the proceeds of the the flat in london went to my ex and i kept the portfolio because my biggest value was freedom and his biggest value was security so it made sense he could just like buy his new place live his life whereas i was like i don't care whether i own or rent i own houses you know and it doesn't define you it doesn't make you you know better or more worthy as a human being you don't suddenly sit on the higher social status you know what I mean like it it doesn't you think it's going to be this big thing when you collect the keys and you're suddenly this homeowner and it means I don't know maybe maybe this is me speaking personally but it actually meant fuck all (laughs) I didn't feel any different um and what was weird is when you slid back into a tenancy role is first of all the responsibility changes so when something breaks you're like not my problem I love that that was the first thing and second of all that like you say stepping into the shoes of the other side thinking this is I had I was amazing I had an incredible landlord this is what a good landlord looks like had a really great personal relationship with a lovely old Cypriot couple oh my god they were the cutest oh they were so lovely but um yeah and you just think "Mm, it's human relations at the end of the day isn't it yeah I think People get a bit too caught up with um, what is what they believe they should be doing, not necessarily what they actually should be doing. You know, yeah. you know, they're keeping up with the Joneses that everybody else has bought a house by the time they're thirty, and they should have one as well, um, or whatever the case may be. And I just think, personally, I I still rent as well mm. because I, I move mm. around a lot. I don't stay in one place for very long, so having that anchor of a property um, that I own that I live in just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I might eventually buy one. I might um, have one that, that I would use as a base perhaps, because my intention is within the next couple of years to be away from the UK six, seven months of the year, not to be again tied to this place. 
to maybe have a base that I can know that I can come back to and rent it out the rest of the time, you know, but uh, it definitely doesn't bother me for renting that status symbol, that whole thing. You spend your whole life paying for a mortgage and by the time you paid for it, the buggy off into an old person's home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think it's becoming a bit of a it's becoming a bit of a movement though. I think I think the more like financially literate people are becoming, mm. and when it's then broken down, I think I don't know what happened since COVID. I feel like people are a little bit more um, awake to yeah. like the stuff that our parents always did. Life's different now. The world's different now, and when people kind of realise that, it, it these certain things become less important, but. I mean, I get it. People turn up to my house and drop me off or pick me up when I'm going to go somewhere. And they're like, bloody hell. And then you're like, you rent though? Oh, okay. It's almost yeah. like this feeling of, oh, God, thank God he can't afford to buy it. Yeah. Um, it's like just this like almost, oh, good. I'm, I'm all right then. I'm doing yeah. fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I just find it quite funny. Um, you're more relatable when you're when you're not an owner. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I just find it funny. Like the decision we made, the investment within 12 months was paying for the rent and the bills on the house anyway. And it was like that now, if you were to rent this exact same, if I was to buy this house, it would be costing me almost right. Well, over double um, on a monthly basis to have a 75% mortgage on this house than what I pay in rent and all the stamp duty. And the deposit money just sat there idling away. And yeah, pe people don't people don't appreciate the opportunity loss. And I think it's not for everyone either. Everyone gets well angry at me, especially on TikTok, about this whole thing. Mm. And it's not for everyone. If you don't know how to invest money, you don't know how to buy a buy to let or make your money work hard, then the best investment is to buy the home you live in because it will go up in value by accident over time. Yeah. If you're aware and you have access to YouTube and you can do the smallest bit of research, you should be able to outperform your money being sat and in, if you're lucky, 10% a year in a property, yep. in my opinion. Well, I support you on social media. I remember you doing this just quite a while ago. I remember you, it must have been around the time you moved because I remember you did a post on Instagram about it. And I remember if I could have given it 10 hearts, 10, <laughs> I'd have given it. I was like, yeah, I, I, I just resonated because, yeah, it, it's uh, it's something that society uses a, a, a self-value, like an mm. indicator of success. And it's just, it's just not. It's not, not right, you know. It's, Let them it, do it, though, yeah, bless them. I know. Well, Let them have it. Thing. Like my dad being, you know, mortgage-free and owning his own home outright, for him, he's the king of his castle, right? And it means everything to him. And, you know, I couldn't get him to refinance for love or money. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, yeah. that's, yeah. that's you. Yeah. yeah. And that's the long plan. Like me, me and my wife do, we, we want to find a plot and we want to build it. Yeah, same. And yeah. it be our property. Yeah. Um, but we're in no rush to do so either. Like if, if something pops up and it's in front of us and it can be structured in a way that works for us, then cool. But if not, it would just, we'll just do what we do. We mm. actually find it quite fun. We're, there's like another house up the road and we're like, should we go have a look at that one? We can yeah. move. We can yeah. just move. It's like, it's yeah. almost like quite, quite fun. Um, you only need a month's notice. Yeah. Moving is not fun, but oh, it's, so awful, it's um, it? yeah. but especially if it's your choice, it's a bit more fun. It's a bit more exciting. Um, yeah, my four-year-old, he's lived in three houses and he's four oh, years old. That's crazy, um, isn't it? <laughs> but again, I just, like, I think people pretend like it's, it's a home, not a house. It's like, <laughs> uh, bullshit. Like, <laughs> I, I, I quite like the fact that we've had Christmases in three different houses mm. with all the family over. And I can remember each individual one. And like, it, it doesn't matter that it's in a different place. It's like, yeah. it's almost like where to put your Christmas tree this year when we've got another house to live in. <laughs> so it's a bit of fun, really. Will the same tree fit? Do we need another one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is yeah. a really big question. And actually a discussion I have with my other half this morning about not only the type of Christmas tree, but also where it was going to go this Christmas. Because we're both- It, it, we've got three as of last year. Yeah, mate. So I've moved into a two bedroom garden flat in Bristol with my partner, who's not a small person, two cats and now a baby on the way. There ain't no room for, there's no luxury for excess <laughs> foliage. One in the baby's room, like... one in your room, one yeah. in the room. <laughs> you don't have to be big trees, just little trees. Yeah, just little biddy widdy trees. So yeah, I've yeah. got a pre-lit tree, which I've, I'm very attached to. It's a good Tesco purchase, £25 about five years ago. I love my tree, it's a seven-footer. And Craig's <laughs> like, 
no I want a real tree like fuck your tree it's in storage somewhere out in the sort of the outskirts of Bristol I was like oh <laughs> but you know these are the right questions to ask but yeah no, talk, like about, talk about questions to ask we didn't oh, shit, yeah. question. we're, we're doing not very well without we're Matt. Not we, doing also, very well. we should also apologize that Matt's not here so Matt um well he's recovering from a festival should we just tell the listeners yeah he's yeah he's, he's yeah, he took he decided to take his two kids along to the festival with his lovely partner Lara I think they're in a very dark place um <laughs> Not the dark place that you'd imagine coming back from a festival either. No, I was no. thinking, I was thinking, come downs, depression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, no, I just... no, I think he's exhausted from having two kids at a festival. <laughs> Can you imagine two kids in a tent? Oh my lord! But anyway, the question of the hour, uh, Jack: What does the human side of property mean to you? Kind of gone over quite a lot of it, haven't we? I mean, yeah, it is everything. It's everything, I would say. Everybody, look, if, if you were to ask the question to most people, I think it would be like how to make a profitable property business. It would come down to a spreadsheet and removing emotion and like all these horrible ways of thinking about it. But I think the opposite, and I think the opposite is proving in entrepreneurship and business in general is understanding the human behind your avatar that we love yeah. calling them now um once you understand the human emotions and the human behind the person you're pitching to you're selling to your housing whatever it may be then your business thrives and i've seen this myself firsthand having done property for 10 years failed for eight of it all of it was chasing cash money the next big strategy the next thing for 2023 and all of that stuff is just empty running around not really knowing what you're trying to do and we all know it's a uh, property solving is is how to win at business and the more you understand the humans behind your business the better it becomes the more fun it becomes for you the more focus you have that was the big thing for me the minute i found the purpose which was to house as many vulnerable people as i could your mind goes nuts on how many you know, partnership wise, we partner with so many people and it becomes, I've not had to negotiate one partnership. Both sides have just gone, what about that? I go, yeah, that sounds good. I'm like, yep, yeah, good to me as well. Like as long as we both win, it's easy. And we both have the same goal of helping more people. Mm -hmm. And every day I'm dealing with more people wanting to come in and offer us a service or a product or a something to help us. And we give something back in return. And that's what's exciting for me is is the ability that um so many businesses can come together with that same goal which is to help humans who aren't doing quite as well or need a second chance or need just real basics that's the mad thing about it is these things you know the the people we're housing here are, are not looking for a palace and they're not looking for a free meal ticket which is what without going into it or like what most people seem to think uh, they just want a place of safety and the ability to go about their life without being bombed or threatened or whatever else is going on in their life at that time. And um, yeah, I think I think it kind of goes back to the the COVID thing as well. It's like the minute we were able to meet up with humans again, you kind of realise that energy and the it just can't be done over a screen. And um, yeah, a long-winded version of of the answer, but ultimately, it's it's the the human side of property is that we are all dealing with humans, and we spoke about it previously in the question about just normal tenancies and the ability for people to so easily just serve a notice, get rid of them out there because I'm going to make it into service accommodation because it's four times the amount of money. Yeah, but that that real inhuman way of thinking about it, and I think the more that people focus on the humans that are sort of within the property industry, the better it will be, the less offended people will be by landlords because they realize that we do actually give a shit. And, and the more we can show that, the better, I think. Yeah. And it's a general consensus, really, isn't it? Or, or anytime you hear about landlords in the media or whatever it might be, it's always the rogue landlords you hear about. You don't actually hear about the people that are actually making a difference. and the reason you need to do what you're doing is because there's a massive demand for housing for vulnerable people. 
Well, what's the what's the saying? It's like they don't write about the train being on time. Yeah. It's like if everything goes smoothly and everything's going to plan, they got nothing to talk about, nothing to. But because they'll just go, well, they're just doing their job though. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when it goes wrong, they're not doing their job right, and it's. Mm. It, but it, but it's it's under a microscope at the minute, I think, and we're kind of lumped in with the government somehow. I feel mm. like landlords are like almost as bad as the government and this that and the other but i don't know it is what it is ultimately i think i get asked because we're in social housing and we're dealing with asylum seekers and all this stuff we i tend to have a lot of conversations that are driven around politics and stuff like that and without being too dismissive of it all i just don't give that much of a shit we've got a thing that we want to do so think what you want about it believe what you want about it most people don't have a clue but they just have formed an opinion mm. and it doesn't bother me. The money's there. It's being wasted at the moment by housing people in ho- in hotel rooms. And we can save the taxpayer 75% of that cost for every individual that we house in our properties, as well as give landlords an amazing return on their money, as well as we basically work with, we've got like a partnership program where we show people what we do and how we work. And then they do the outreach to investors. And if they get one of our deals sold or investment money in, we pay them a commission to do it. So they win, then we win, and then we reinvest. And like, there's this kind of an ecosystem, I suppose, in which everybody kind of wins. The landlords that we take properties under rent to rent, they get a guaranteed rental income. There's all these things that, that the sort of nobody loses in our in our little ecosystem that we've created. And the hope is that we'll be less reliant on investor funds moving forward because we'll just be using the profits and recirculating that same money, which is something that charities simply can't do. Charities are a broken system, in my opinion, because when they run out of money, when they've wasted it on big CEO wages and stuff, they have no choice but to re-raise. You know, it's not it's not a, a self-running machine. They have to go, okay, that's empty now. Let's, let's do something about comedy or sport on the telly and raise some more money. Mm. Uh, whereas our plan is invest to, into profitable stuff. At the moment, we kind of give away three, four years worth of income to our investors because we know in that after four years, that's all going to come into us. And then we have 100% of that income that we can then choose to reinvest and, and to continue to build that. Um, a million people is a lot, though. I, I think uh, it's big. It's a big it's a goal. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I maybe slipped an extra zero on there by accident. I don't know. But um but yeah, I've of... said this I've said this before. Like I think we're so early on in this, and yet we've got, you know, like I mentioned, supported living gateway have come on as as an as a partner. Um, we hope that that will hope become a merger together at some point. Um and there are so many people that kind of want to help us in this goal that in another five, 10 years time, where we'll be as a business and what we'll be attracting in terms of investment, in terms of uh, portfolios being passed over, then I think it's it's very much on a trajectory that that could, could go crazy. So the 800 people into a million seems a million miles away, but in 10 years time, I think it's, um, it's going to look a lot more achievable. Yeah, because you'll be leveraging the expertise, support and reach of other organizations, right? And the more you can yeah. kind of 10x that, then yeah, that'd be amazing. The I'm more we perform, the more we do what we say we're going to do, the more people will start yeah. to trust us, believe us and see the that we're actually doing it. We're not just saying it. We're not just putting this stupidly high number on <laughs> a website. We're actually like getting ourselves towards it. But yeah. you haven't set yourself like a crazy deadline it's not like by 2030 like you know what I mean no. like it's yeah yeah that, no, that, this is this is like <laughs> I, I see it as a bit like you know the goal what was it Apple computers said um they want to have a laptop or was it Microsoft maybe I want to have a laptop computer in every household in the world mm. it's a bit like that it's kind of like it'll happen at some stage and if we don't if we only house 800,000 people we've hardly failed you know yeah, yeah. um if you but, only yeah. house eight hundred thousand, yeah, just the eight hundred, <laughs> yeah. yeah, bless yeah. them. <laughs> so yeah, it may it may well be my sons that have to just carry this on for me, bless them, whether they like it or not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you actually about the rent to rent model on this kind of this sort of business um, model that you've created. I, I was I was thinking like, how does it work? Why is it so beneficial? And I I suppose in many ways because you're taking out the acquisition element, it speeds everything up, right? 
Massively. It must do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from a fastest route to cash flow, fine. That That's a tick. That's a win-win. But it, it, acquisition or any development, you're looking at a two-year trajectory before it even gets off the ground, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we could have people housed in six weeks. I mean, with great. the rent to rent model okay. and then and it's also it's also the cost of a room right if you were to, again if you were to look at the purchase in a property versus rent to rent in a property in terms of time scales cost per person etc rent to rent will win hands down in terms of return on investment but equally the amount of people we can house in such a short period of time um yeah it, it wins on every level other than the fact you don't own the asset which at this stage we don't really care that much about because we're in the business of housing people and creating a profitable business and a, and a model in which our investors can invest in and make sure that their money's doing as much as it possibly can the actual the actual ownership of the asset isn't that important that's more important for us personally and as a business thing for the future so that we've got the the stability and the assets to back but you know the contracts are a big asset here in the, in this mm. industry yeah that makes complete sense because yeah. it's almost like you're also a bit of a frontline service so there's the whole element of the problem is now so it needs to be solved now so this business model fits that need um i mean from the asset owners perspective who you're renting off of obviously they will have a financial pressure in the background with the change in the economy and the higher finance that they might have i mean are you feeling that further down the line are you having to um, not so much no. not so much i think a lot a lot of our land you know a lot of the rent to rent stuff we do are either blocks to flats that we do emergency housing with so they're three yeah. or four years and they've built them to rent and the rent we pay is decent on right. on those blocks. Right. The sort of asylum seeker style stuff is they pay less. It's almost like LHA and a bit on top. Yeah, so um, it is more like market rate now, to be fair. And you yeah. get the benefits, obviously. But you'll find we find loads of student landlords. They they're very low geared on their properties, so yeah. the increase hasn't affected them all that much. And I think they're just a bit bored now or their shit properties they used to rent for loads of money and have a thousand viewings on they're all going to the newly built blocks that are just popping up absolutely everywhere in every university town now so they're struggling um we did Portsmouth until we got told we can't house any more people in Portsmouth so we filled Portsmouth up pretty much um <laughs> completed Portsmouth yeah done tick we're on Southampton next um <laughs> and then the Isle of Wight we've got to fill up that entire island um the uh yeah it's, it's i mean it's it's low level stuff that we end up spending quite a few thousand pounds on getting up to scratch in terms of like basics firex <laughs> like there's not not one door in those things closed properly and sure. um, and it's it's quite scary really but um yeah so those landlords who have been struggling and it gets to sort of october september october and they've not found a tenant yet we turn up we spend five grand on their property getting it up to scratch getting it done getting it ready and then we give them a five to ten year lease it's it really works for them now Great. we've kind of filled, filled that gap and they've been able to really seamlessly switch tenant types without it affecting them or all that much at all mm, makes complete sense nice cool well, question so i mean we've put you on the spot because we know you didn't come prepared with one but have you got a question for us mate Yes. How badly performing are your HMOs now? The starting uh, <laughs> <laughs> for more properties. <laughs> now, now that yeah, there you go. You now know? the now that now the bills and your mortgages and all that sort of stuff. Are you still looking to commercially value and refinance your HMOs, or are yeah. you looking at kind of gearing a lot lower on the basis that the costs are higher now? So it's funny you talk about the tired student landlord. I think I'm rapidly slipping into that role. Um, Nowhere to go. Yeah, I know. I've got your number. So I was thinking about this. I actually was considering um, going down the rent to rent route simply because um, where so where my portfolio is in Lincoln is always been it was always a little bit out there. It was a bit rogue to go where I went, but it was larger housing stock. I could do more with it. Um, and it just it it meant that the students had to walk that extra five or seven minutes, which in Lincoln is a really big deal for students. 
but because the finish and the spec was so high they were willing to do it and I was blowing the competition out the water broke the glass ceiling of rentals in that area and I was living the high life for a very long time and then what happened was yeah there's been the development of new blocks but that's not really been the main pressure what happened was the dickhead landlords who had the shittier stuff near the university have looked around seen the competition and gone oh we need to up our game or they've sold and new people have come into central and they've upped their game and so my competition has changed and so yeah I've had um for the first time ever a challenge filling and um yeah and it's because of geography I'm like god damn so what do I do now um so yeah me and my letting agent we've been in cahoots everything's filled but I was feeling the pressure so I was thinking oh so what's changed the market's also changed as well um I mean I I'm in students that's all I'm in um I love that market always have done just for so many reasons but um there's less of them now right yeah yeah well it depends where you go right so Lincoln's cohort's gone up so their, their intake's gone up every single year and it's on the increase but the city's tiny. And my logic was, well, they can't, there's only so much they can redevelop. It's the, the demand for housing is just going to trickle outwards, which it has done. What's annoying is we're in this funny sticky bit where the inward housing has just upped its game, expanded, there's more of it and it's better quality. So yeah, and I was at one stage when like, I was sort of looking at voids and thinking, fuck you know, rent to rent was actually where I was going to go. That's where I was going to turn to. I haven't had to at this point but it's certainly not something I'd rule out for sure. You can always put, can't you just put more grass on more walls? Doesn't that make it more popular with student stuff? Do you know what? I'll tell you what, in Lincoln specifically, and this is my, this is the, uh, the inside scoop is uh, garden bars. So guard, because do you know what's happened is I was one of the only landlords who was doing en suites. And uh, so, yeah. And of course during COVID, I was coining it in, all of my rents went through the roof without even fucking trying. It was amazing. And now we find ourselves in territory where every fuck is doing. And I'm just like, right. Okay. So that competition's changed. And I'm like, so what is it? Garden bars. So I've, um, yeah, fitted in a garden bar uh, in a couple of them. And yeah, it's, uh, it seems to be doing the trick. So yeah, but then again, that's not, that's, that's a fad. That's a thing. So it's just kind of, yeah, this pocket is good because you can pivot to different tenant types. You know, there's a hospital around the corner. There's like, you know, there's loads, there's loads of like institutional stuff that could house people. But yeah, it, it was a wake up call. You know, the industry's changing. People are up in their game. Um, on the finance side, I'm all right because I managed to, I, I refinanced everything just before interest rates had gone. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, pulled out a nice amount of capital and locked in on decent not brilliant but okay rates that hasn't affected the the cash flow too much so that's the crazy thing as well though that people don't realize with landlords is the constant need to pivot and change and adapt and people don't see that part they think it's a set and forget thing which it can be in many cases but you just never know what's around the corner and you have to you know it can be catastrophic if you get caught and you don't make those changes or try and be proactive with it yeah you definitely need to be on your on on the ball um otherwise if you take your eye off the ball or you're just not aware of what's happening in the market you get caught out very badly and over the past couple of years we've seen some what we would have considered bigger players in the market go under and that's scary to see those people go down um it's not nice to see anyone getting into trouble and it could happen to anyone at any time but when you see someone that you kind of had put on a pedestal as being this um, this uh, business or landlord that was 10, 15 steps ahead of where we are, and then suddenly they're gone. Um, so it, yeah, it's definitely been a, a scary couple of years. We're, we're still uh, buying, we're still commercially refinancing, um, but we're, we haven't done as many as what we were doing pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the type of properties or the number of properties that we can actually make work now are a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those margins are a lot finer than what they were. Um, and we've seen people buying stuff that we've been bidding on to do the same thing that we were going to do with them. And we're like, how the fuck are you making this work? And I think the answer is they don't have a clue. They're not making yeah. it work. <laughs> yeah. But they'll post on social media and make it fucking look like it's going well. Won't yeah. yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's been very frustrating because... We haven't been as busy as what we wanted to be. But in reality, we were better off not being busy than just buying shit for the sake of buying stuff, you know? Um, 
but obviously there you the cost of running the properties utilities interest rates everything has increased um but demand is really high for what we have at the minute as well um so we've no trouble filling rooms rents have gone up um and as well as that on the flip side we have also been pivoting and diversifying as well to counteract um a lot of the problems that are that we're facing on the hmo side so we've um we have sold a couple uh, we've got one going through at the moment which will the sale will complete at the end of august hopefully um so we have been going through the portfolio and just getting rid of one or two here and there um and we've also started doing um we're doing a couple of capital projects um, and looking at developments as well as just the income side so if we're leaving a lot of money in a hmo conversion then we can counteract that by doing a couple of flips on the side so it's not really having a massive impact on in in the in the bigger picture is it the market for flips and developments in your opinion depending on what, me shitless, that depending on what they are depending on what they are so we're redeveloping a bungalow into uh it's like a it's a really high-end family home um and we've just had it revalued and it's been revalued higher than what than what we had done our numbers on because it's very niche it's not it's not on the high street it's not every tom dick and harry that can afford to buy this place and uh, uh, to begin with so it's very niche to the type of people that would be looking for it so it's high net worth individuals people that already have money and the interest rate rises are not really that much of an impact to them yeah that's clever isn't it i think that that's i've always thought that because there was a stat in 2008 something like because i'm not too far from richmond um and i'm like next door to windsor and there was a stat about the area that it was just completely unaffected price-wise in the biggest crash we've ever seen because pretty much everyone living there didn't have a mortgage. They were either just absolutely minted or older yeah. and had paid their mortgages down. So, yeah, I think that's a really good idea when looking at flips is to go that higher level where people are just going to be maybe downsizing from an even bigger house or just buying cash. Yeah, exactly. And it's, 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 it's just these little bubbles or these little pockets, if you like, in various locations that, like you said, are just not affected by the general market. There may be a little um, effect here and there, but not to the same extent. Um, and I think that kind of, we were very impressed and chuffed with ourselves when we did get the valuation in that was 100 grand higher than what we had estimated cool. it would be. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll be doing more of those. Obviously, those are slower, um, bigger projects. Take a long, uh, take quite a long time to, from offer being accepted to going through all the planning process and purchase and refurb and then sale at the end. Uh, so it's not by any way a uh, 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 quick. Nobody got nobody's got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> honestly i've got two plots of land the idea of going through i mean i'm my ears hurt just listening to you reeling off the process let alone going through it and i'm just like yeah yeah nice well, it, for later for know, this but... one on its own we were seven months in planning and that's quite relatively quick for some of the, the other ones we've been like 18 months in planning oh, i know i would just sorry. get so angry all <laughs> of the time with yeah. other people I'd be so tempted just to find out where they lived. I know it. <laughs> You're banging down. No, there's no. I couldn't. Oh, there's, well, no, because of um, we've decided that it's all just like old blokes that have lived in a village for God knows how long and make the decisions, and they have no idea on what they're actually making. That's right. what would really annoy me. And, and that so is exactly what we had to deal with because of where this property is. There were <laughs> lots of old people living around it, and they were complaining about everything and anything that has nothing to do with planning. <laughs> But they would complain about it anyway, and every complaint and objection and comment then has to be reviewed, especially with this particular council. It was just soul destroying. Yeah, we um, we were involved. We were involved in one. We didn't end up going through with it. We kind of sold our share to the business partners in the end. But I remember there being someone messaged, and it started <laughs> with, "I'm sorry, but no." <laughs> And then and then went on to tell you the reasons why we shouldn't develop it. <laughs> I was like, it's unbelievable. Sorry, I can't let you do it. <laughs> For the following reasons. Yeah. 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 But I, I love how confident some people are 
in their objections and oh, they're yeah. convinced that those objections are going to throw it out of the water but like <laughs> like i said most of the objections that we had had nothing to do with the planning process or the planning. is it right am i right in thinking that there are planning laws that you will it, it's gonna happen if you stick to these planning laws and local laws then the planning will be done and yeah. it's it doesn't matter how many people complain about it the laws are the laws and you'll get it through it might just take time yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've got a good planning consultant, they'll kind of cut to the quick and get you get you to that point. But I was going to say, but if they're laws and they're stuck to laws, then why should it take long? Surely, if it's oh. like, oh yeah, that's that's that, that is the, the laws. Let's do that. Question. Yeah, that is okay. a million dollar question. If there are these regulations and laws in place already, why not just stick to them and we yeah. follow it's them? Like, it's like they're double checking. It's like they're sort of double stamping, rub, double rubber stamping everything. Because uh, and and the whole. I feel like they want to make it as democratic as possible. And I think that's why they give everyone the right of reply and whatever. And there's nothing worse than a local who's got a real bee in their bonnet about something you're intending to do. And they rock up at committee with the scroll, you know, the yeah. scroll, and they've got the the perspective. Um, and it's councillors as well, local oh, councillors. Oh. Because they want to be seen to be doing the best for their constituents. So yeah. they'll bring loads of stuff into committee if it has had a lot of comments in it. Yeah. Just so that they can stand up for their constituents. Whether they actually agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Have you seen Clarkson's Farm? Yes. The, the, the second season, I was so annoyed about that process. He was trying to get a restaurant. Um, on his farmland and literally they've they've there was there was something he tried to get a pathway which is completely under like they don't even need planning for it and they still declined him and he asked the planning consultant have you ever had anyone like this to he said never because yeah. it's not it's not law like they've they've been unlawful to say no but if you want to go against them it's going to cost you x amount more money to go back and like i was just amazed by how archaic the process is yeah. to get planning for something that would have added to the local area and been and he was basically helping all the other farmers locally couldn't sell their meat for various reasons because tesco's were buying it cheaper from abroad and all these different things and they were like we're going under without your restaurant my pig farm doesn't exist anymore so he was going to the plan and saying well we're going to use everything's going to be locally sourced we're going to you know help all these farmers and they just said no because it's because it's jeremy clarkson and we don't like him yeah i mean but the but in the end, he was able to convert an old barn under permitted development and took his uh, customers like on a tractor and trailer up the yeah. pathway. So he still wasn't breaking any laws. He did everything by the book and he still got his restaurant. That's right. what I love about property. Yeah. The, the ability to go, right, you've done this to me. I'm going to find another way. Yeah, and it, okay. I'm just going to really annoy you. Like there's always a way around these things in property, no matter what comes through, as yeah. long as you're... You you just don't give up and you question everything. You yeah. you tend to find ways around it. Yeah, I always say to my students, when it ain't going right, turn left, and it's the left yeah. turns that you just feel like, yes, <laughs> like I've just nailed it. Like I've outsmarted the system. I know yeah. what I'm doing. Cool. <laughs> right, should we do a bit of episode roulette, babe? Let's do this. Actually, when we started, I was actually trying to have a look through to see which episode you were on. Oh yeah, it should be Jack, but I couldn't find it. Oh, okay. I'll see if I can have Imagine if I got my own one. That'd be quite cool. That'd be like, that what did you be... say? What did you talk about, Jack? Yeah, be like, he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> okay, so just for our new listeners and for uh, as a reminder for you, Jack, I'm just going to scroll through all of our previous episodes of uh, Property Jam. Um, and you should stop at any point and then give us your opinion on the topic of that particular episode. So it could be anything from tenant stories to Jack Wicks. <laughs> oh, which by the way was episode 37, which shows how long ago it was because we're now on episode 200 and whatever we are. Yeah. Woo. This is, yeah. yeah. The house that Jack Wicks built was the name of your episode. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Now I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, crack on. Okay, <laughs> anyway, as it was. I have now started to scroll, Jack. Start place play. <laughs> just listen to the episode. <laughs> I've just I've just ended up on an anniversary one, so that's not going to work. Uh, where we go? Um, oh, Hitching, go side. Episode ninety three. Yeah. HMO tenants first come first served. 
So I think basically we were talking about um, whether or not you should, we should be more uh, diligent or very specific about who we put together in HMO properties, not just accepting the first person that comes along. Yes and no. Uh, in my experience, the best, the, the, we did really well on one house to the point that all six people gave notice at the same time to move into a house together. So, so you that did was pick a, the right people. <laughs> that, was, wow. that was a kick in the teeth because obviously all of a sudden, 100% void. Um, but I do think it's important. It's, it's almost impossible because everyone seems like a certain person when you sit there and talk to them and then yeah. they have a couple of cans of Stella when they get home on a Friday night and they become a nuisance. Um, plus, I think, yeah, people, people struggle, are struggling a lot more now. And I think it's really hard to, to get that right. And I think equally, it's really hard to be able to put people together and almost not your job to put people together on the basis of a 10 minute meeting or on the basis of a form they filled out. Like, what do you like? Tennis. The other tenant likes tennis. Let's pick them. It doesn't mean they're going to like each other. Um, like, what are you going to do? Like go through personality tests and shit and try and like make them compatible. You could, there could be an app in this. Oh, right, swipe right. For oh which you oh, get wow. the, you get the first you get the first tenant in and then all of the others that have applied they get to swipe right or left on which ones they'd like to have in and then oh yeah. mate that's too brutal i don't Maybe think not. i couldn't um, do that. have yeah. you ever done tenant-led viewings so that people so they get to meet each other and suss yes. each other out? we did back in the day again we don't have to do any that we anymore do we don't that. have any sense um yeah we did we did and that that can go either way. I think you just, mm. you know, I think there's a, there's a lack of control under, you know, what's actually being said. Um, yeah. I mean, back in the really early days, I had WhatsApp groups for every house. Oh, and mate. Did you? that was bad, bad news. And I was going around there being like the friend to them Hi. all. So I was like 20, I must've been 25 then. Something like that doing rent to rent. And I was taking them around beers for Christmas and stuff <laughs> like that. And it was just a nightmare. Mm. Um, yeah, we've made every mistake in the book when it comes to managing tenants, but it's a really difficult one. I think it's probably down to personal preference. I, I personally don't think it's your job to decide who lives with who. I think it's your job to decide who is a tenant that is going to respect the space and pay on time. Cool. Yeah. And what's weird as well is like you can be so selective, like you say, just get it so wrong. Like co-living happens very organically with the most unlikely people getting on and creating a little community under one roof. And I think if you try and police that or sort of puppet master that a little bit too much, you probably end up in hot water. It is. It's ultimately down to the respect for the space and each other, isn't it? So, yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, Same. Okay. So I will we'll do another one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm scrolling again. Stop. Oh, oh, I keep doing it. I keep pressing play instead of stop. <laughs> really keen. To we need Matt. This. <laughs> <laughs> He's the button man. <laughs> well, this this should be right up your street. Field packaging. Oh. Just in general. The yeah. blind, <laughs> the, the partially blind leaving the blind. Oh, I know what this was. Do you know what's okay? So you, I'm sure you're going to jump on this bandwagon hard, right? So, how many dickheads out there? And there's one dickhead in particular that we're not going to mention, but who's targeting the under 25s, normally lads, to kind of just deal package, right? And then just go out there and make a million, you know, and selling them a dream without any understanding or context of the industry. Um, to just make a quick buck in in the training uh, sector. Discuss like. Yeah, I think yeah, it is bad. You see, you see these deals banded around Facebook where they've like come through five different people, and the fee was a grand to begin with. It's now twenty five grand, and they're still trying to peddle it with no information. And then you see the picture they put up, and you find it on Rightmove within a minute, and you ring up, and it's not even secured, and it's like. That's the problem. Like deal sourcing gets a bad name because of people like that. Yes. Um, I think deal sourcing is an absolutely incredible way. If you get, if you get a good deal sourcer, they're worth their weight in gold. They will take away stress, hassle, and Emotion. their yeah, and their fee. I believe should be 
a non-negotiable. You shouldn't have to worry about negotiating on it because it should be incorporated in the return that you are after as an investor. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether their fees are 100 grand or not. If the return on investment figure works for you, inclusive of all of those things, then it's fine and it's perfect. But the problem is there are so many wrong ones out there that will go around, especially in rent to rent. They'll go around taking fees off people. And then when they don't find a deal or the deal has been fraudulently signed, which we've seen a few times, and especially in service accommodation, loads of people out there are signing fraudulent documents saying, yes, this can be used under short-term contract. And it's the landlord never agreed to it ever. So they go and buy this deal, they pay all these fees. And then in six months time, they get message saying you can't do this anymore. And they've just wasted all that money. It's it's like anything. There's there's bad people and good people in industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I say, I think a good deal sourcer with the right um, connections and skill set is is incredible. Yeah. But the wrong ones are ultimately just running a fraudulent business that isn't deal sourcing. I don't think you can even call it deal sourcing because it's just a fraudulent version of. So it's like so it's like saying you're a forex trader and you're a guy that pretends to be in forex trading but actually isn't. Like forex trading isn't bad if you're mm-hmm. actually trading. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them aren't. They're just selling shit signals and whatever else they're doing. Um, yeah, I've I've worked with deal sources and and I know what we do for our clients as well. Especially back in the day, we were charging nowhere near enough money for the amount of work we were putting into those things. Um, and people will say that you shouldn't charge up front, but then why not? If you're a legitimate deal sourcer, then I think you should. You should charge your your fee should be a down payment to to secure it. Because what people also don't think about is that deal sourcer's got connections and people that have got them that deal. And yeah. if that investor then fucks them over and all of a sudden can't afford it or can't do what they said they were going to do, and the deal gets lost, that's a massive, massive problem to a deal sourcer because of their relationship. Yeah. they'll lose the deal and all the time spent on it and there might have been another investor that they said no to and then they couldn't do what they said they were going to do and then there's there's two sides to every story and i think the deal sources get the bad bad end of it and you'll always hear that end of it on facebook with the same few people same as social housing there's like three or four people that are just so boring about their bitching about the industry and anything that that isn't what they do is bitched about and like you can't possibly know as much as us because we've done it for longer Mm. um it's like everything in property it's you have to take everything with a bit of pinch of salt and just i think ultimately do what you do knowing what you know like if you're going to be a deal sourcer then do it and do it properly and do it in whichever way you want if you don't want to charge a fee up front don't if you do then do um ignore everybody i'm so close i'm this close to deleting all social media and just letting my team deal with it and then send me comments and then i'll reply to the comments via slack and then i'll send them a video that i'm going to put out there and they can deal with it all Mm. so i don't have to actually go physically on the platform anymore because i just get so wound up by it all yeah totally yeah i i I think you're right that a lot of deal sourcers um do get the a bad rap a lot of the time but it's not always their fault if the person that's buying the deal from a deal sourcer needs to do their own due diligence as well they need to know what they're buying and not just assume that somebody else has got the right answer for them and i think there's a lot of that in it and i also see quite a few people that are trying to source everything you know they're doing backlets they're doing developments they're doing hmos they're doing everything you can think of I, th- I personally believe it's like it's like picking your property strategy or your business strategy pick one lane and stick to it mm-hmm. and then when you've perfected that and you know that like the back of your hand then you can go and look at something else but don't try and do everything at once because you'll never do anything right i agree i've done a youtube video on exactly that saying that i think that deal sourcing or packaging whatever you want to call it should sit at the bottom of every single property business because we've whatever strategy you've decided on for you there will always be either too many properties so you can't commit to them all and then you're just going to give them back to your contact that's money lost based on the time you spent to build the rapport you've now just given away money that somebody else would have snapped your hand off and given you five or ten grand for mm-hmm. you then just pass that on so i think no matter where you are whether you're buying rent to rent in and that's your core business you should have a deal packaging arm where you buy you have a list of investors that you pass on the deals that you can't or don't want to do because yeah. people have different ideas on what a deal is anyway so you might have a specific 
deal in mind that works for you but anything else goes to somebody else and they'll happily pay a fee for um but i also mentioned exactly that a niche you have to have a niche in which you are whether it's area specific and you know that area like the back of your hand and you can do other strategies but the area you could tell someone what road is bad what road is good what the highest amount that road sold for or you go down the route of strategy like you say and that could be a wider area but you're super specific on the 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 strategy or also tenant type obviously we are anything that ends in social or supported living you can then do service accommodation or hmos and that can kind of be spread across quite a wide range of property types and and areas and i think as long as you've got something like you say a niche that you are then known for because otherwise people are never going to come to you for anything like you want to be the person that when like this is my big aim is that when social housing or supported living is mentioned i want jack wicks to be commented 10 times straight away off like that is what he does go to this guy um and if you get to that level then i think you've won your little micro niche and and that can always be expanded later on down the line i think something i've only just relatively recently kind of realized that when you niche down to a specific strategy there are so many businesses within that strategy that you don't need to get bored yeah there's so many things you can do like social housing to me like there's just i've got a whiteboard to the left of me with like eight different things that we're doing and there's still way more to go at that you suddenly become really creative about when you're just so specific about it um and i think people are just a little uh what's the word impatient they want to become everything before they become one thing yeah first and i think rob moore's a really good role model with that you know he he was the property guy and now he's the entrepreneur your guy and he's kind of expanded the money guy whatever he kind of like nails something and then becomes a different person and i think Mm -hmm. that that kind of shows us that we don't need to do it all straight away you don't have to be that tony robbins from day one you have to work your way to that point yeah i think that's a really good point and i reckon that's why the under 25s get targeted with deal packaging in particular because it's it's got this whole you know universal it's a bit like you know they'll have a little bit of crypto going on they'll have a little bit of digital marketing going on they'll have tried this and now deal packaging then they'll turn their hands to rent it's just another thing that's kind of rainbow chasing and it's become very packageable as a training product and i think that's the issue um but the it's like i keep coming back to this saying do you remember i had this postcard nile that uh, I, I have in my bedroom mm. this is decide commit succeed decide commit succeed that the deciding what you're going to do is the easy bit committing to it and seeing it through and not constantly getting distracted is the hard bit and the success is the byproduct of doing that well and that yeah that's like you say you can then repurpose that again and again but you have to start with just one thing (laughs) and then yeah it's and that's where the discipline sets in Um, yeah I think you're right I think it's deal packaging can be a quick win and property is not fast you can't earn money quickly in many ways in property so especially if someone can co-deal source something and they all of a sudden they've gone on right move they've done a viewing they've done this they've done that and then they've got 1500 quid in the bank they're like this is it and i'll do more of that and it makes sense and i think it's a really good place to start but like you say it has to be done with the right the commitment in mind that you're going to be doing this for the next year or two at least rather than just for the next six months or some short period of time um and fuck over everybody in your way while you're at it just so that you get the money hit the bank account um but yeah Mm. it's yeah it's one of those things and i don't know i don't think it can really be anything can be done about it i think like you say there's a lot more responsibility that needs to be taken from the people paying the money you know they they they've got this 18 year old straight off the back of a course and they're just banging three grand into their account with a contract that's been done on chat gbt um and then they wonder why it doesn't come back yeah it's by like, the way yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. well i think that's a pretty good uh point to um end the episode on thank you very much jack if people want to get in contact with you or find out more about what you do or how they can get involved where is the best place to to reach out to you or your team all the social media accounts. Um, I'm do a lot on YouTube, so Jack Wicks UK, but then Instagram, um, TikTok, etc. All there, and um, 
yeah me very small team but i still reply to all the dms and stuff so um any interest in getting into social support living um make sure you give me a message perfect and we'll obviously we'll share your details in the notes as well cool thank you very much jack thank Pleasure you guys having you on again yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure we missed you oh very cute <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind um i should probably do this because it's logical yeah, i've been waiting order. on you to do it it would go matt then it would go me then it would go you then it would go jack but we haven't got matt so this is a lot of responsibility okay well, let me get this right well i pressed a button to start you did you did so i'm gonna i'm gonna nail this are you ready it's a goodbye from me it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from me jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more on facebook search property jam podcast or you can follow us on instagram at property jam podcast or you can email us at property jam podcast at outlook.com see, see you on, on the next, next episode, episode.